So now that we've laid a foundation for what is apologetics, we can now ask the question, who am I talking to? And in this video, I want to talk about the people that we have in mind that we'll be reaching. Because again, we're not going to be getting into uh, how to debate people or argue with them. That is not the purpose or goal of apologetics. And when it comes to evangelism, we want to first learn who is a person I'm talking to, who they are, what they believe, what they think, what is their position. And let's start by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 through 23. And in a nutshell, here's what Paul says at the end of this. He says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And he says that I do this all for the sake of the gospel. Now, when you read that passage in its entirety, you see that Paul says things like, to the Jew I became a Jew, uh, to the Gentile Gentile, to those under the law as one under the law, to the weak I became weak. And what he's essentially doing is he's given us two important principles when it comes to evangelism. The first principle being, who am I talking to? Know who you're talking to. And the second one is to adapt your approach accordingly. Now, in Paul's day, we can say that the two main people groups he was aiming to reach were Jews and Gentiles. And in our day and age, we can say that the two main people groups we're trying to reach are theist and non-theist. What does that mean? Well, a theist is someone who believes in a god or gods. Now, note that a theist doesn't necessarily imply that the person's a Christian. Just because someone believes in God doesn't mean they're automatically Christians. There are... Uh, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Mormons, all who believe in God or gods, but doesn't make them Christians, they are nevertheless theists. And in the same way, just like being a believer in God doesn't automatically entail one is a Christian, being a non-believer or non-theist doesn't automatically imply someone is an atheist. So when it comes to the non-believer, you are typically going to encounter someone who is an atheist, an agnostic, or even a skeptic. Now, to kind of set this in order, we can do the following. When it comes to the question, does God exist, there are essentially three positions you can take. You can be a theist, which we already talked about, and that is someone who would say, I believe God or gods exist. You can be an atheist, which historically speaking is someone who believes that God does not exist, or you can be an agnostic, and this is essentially someone who holds no belief one way or the other. Now, at this point, we've left skepticism out, and that is because a skeptic is uh, simply someone who tries to assess the truth of belief and uh, that would get us into a whole other discussion, which I go into in the book. But suffice to say that a skeptic can be an atheist or agnostic. Again, atheist being, I believe there is no God or God does not exist. And an agnostic saying, I hold no position one way or the other. To better understand these three views, uh, imagine the following. Suppose uh, the home team is playing in the Super Bowl. And the newscast comes out to the local mall and asks people what their thoughts are. They go to person A, and they say, do you believe the home team will win? And person A says, yes, I believe the home team will win the Super Bowl. Well, that would be like the theist who says, I do believe God does exist. And then they go to person B and say, what do you think? And person B says, I believe the home team will lose at the Super Bowl. And this is akin to the atheist who says, I believe God does not exist. And then they go to person C. And person C, they ask him, who do you think is going to win? And person C says, I don't know. I, I don't watch football. In other words, he might not even care who's playing or who's going to win the Super Bowl, and so he holds no position one way or the other. And so with this in mind, we've established that when you're talking to the non-believer, they can be an atheist or agnostic, and they can also be a skeptic, which could either be atheist or agnostic. And a skeptic is someone who essentially is, is going to be skeptical about anything that you say. They'll, they'll ask things like, well, how do you know that? Or, or how can you be certain about X, Y, or Z? And while skepticism may be a dominant stronghold for the non-believer, suffice to say that it's really more of a way of assessing the truth or falsity of a claim. And 
How can we find out the person's position? Well, we can simply ask, what's your view on God? Do you believe God exists? And whatever their answer is, is going to tell you what their position is. Are they atheists or are they agnostic? Now, note that the atheist, traditionally speaking, is going to say, I believe God does not exist, whereas the agnostic will not hold a position one way or the other. Once you've identified this position, we can then go into what's called applying the burden of proof to their claim. What is a burden of proof? Suffice to say that in philosophy, if you make a truth claim, if you claim X is true, then you then bear the burden to provide evidence or reasons for why you believe X is true. So let's focus on the non-believing position of atheism. If someone claims to be an atheist, then it is perfectly fine to ask, and what reasons do you have for the belief God does not exist? And whatever their answer, well, you're going to use that information to ask the next question. Again, we're not jumping into debates. We're not throwing scripture at them. We're not giving arguments. At this point of the conversation, we just want to know what they believe and apply the burden of proof. Why are you a fill-in-the-blank? Now, where there's much more we can say to that, I want to jump to this. Once we know their position, the next part becomes let's identify their strongholds. As we talked about earlier in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5, we are called to identify and demolish strongholds. And within our culture, there are three dominant strongholds that have infiltrated, plagued, and shaped our culture in one way or another. And we need to learn how to recognize and identify these within the church, within our culture, and more specifically, within conversations. Because I can assure you that chances are, whatever non-believer you're talking to, they are going to adhere to one of these strongholds, and it is these strongholds that are likely hindering them from coming to the knowledge of God. So, briefly, what are the three dominant strongholds within our culture? Well, the first one is known as postmodernism or relativism, and it, it is essentially this. So, I'm sitting here at this table, and let's suppose there's a dog on this side, and I could say there is a dog to the right of the table, but the person across from me may say, no, 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 there's a dog to the left of the table. Well, which one of us is right and who's wrong? Well, we're both right. And in the same way, says the postmodernist, doesn't matter what God you worship. Doesn't matter what religion you adhere to. Doesn't matter what you believe. Because at the end of the day, it just depends on your perspective. And thus, there can be things that are true for you, but not for me. Because within postmodernism, there is no objective truth. There is no absolute right or wrong. Truth is relative, and it just depends on who you ask. And within our culture or conversations, you may hear it play out this way. Look, you're against same-sex marriage? That's fine. But don't tell someone else they can't marry who they love because that's your truth, not theirs. And you can't tell someone else that they can't marry who they love. And don't you dare impose your religious morality onto someone else because that's intolerant. And you should be more tolerant of everybody's beliefs because at the end of the day, there is no objective truth. Stronghold. Or you may say, well, again, if you're against abortion, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But just don't have one. But don't tell someone else they can't. Don't tell this young lady that she can't have one because it's her body, her choice. True for her, but not for you. Stronghold. And the second dominant stronghold is known as scientism. Now, note the ism. It is essentially a view that the best or only way to gain knowledge about reality is through science. So the person may say, look, you want me to believe in God or an afterlife? Show me a scientist that has gone to heaven with lab equipment, taken empirical tests and investigations, and come back with demonstrable, verifiable data. Because if you cannot prove it scientifically, well, then it either cannot be known or it cannot be true. Stronghold. Or a person may say, if you want me to believe in God, show me the scientific evidence. And the last one is known as naturalism, which is essentially the view that the physical world is all that exists, nothing more, nothing less. Everything is physical. And this one really hits home for me. Freshman year of college, took my first philosophy class. Later found out my professor was an atheist. But I enjoyed the class. And one of the reasons is because I was allowed to ask questions. 
Second semester rolls around, and I intentionally take a class from a philosopher that everyone said, don't take his class because he's going to try to make you lose your faith. My thought was, where can I sign up? Not because I wanted to lose my faith, but call me crazy. But I knew that if God existed and Christianity was true, then all truth should be grounded in God in one way or another. But I also knew that if Christianity were false, I'd still like to know why, and maybe this professor was a man for the job. And here is a day in class in my life and ministry that really set me to where I am now. He walks in one day, reaches into his pocket, and pulls out this antidepressant pill. And he says, now religion wants us to believe in this immaterial soul. And this is what gives us hope in an afterlife and seeing our family and friends that have gone before us. And according to Christianity, your thoughts and emotions and sensations are also immaterial and allegedly contained within your immaterial soul. But here's a problem. If I took this antidepressant pill, which is physical, it has the power to change and affect the alleged immaterial states of my soul. But how can that be? How can something tiny and physical have the power to affect the alleged immaterial? Because every time we look at the brain or body, all scientists ever find are the base elements of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, neurons firing. But no scientist has ever found anything even remotely close to something like a soul. So how do we explain this? And he said, well, the answer is simple. I'll tell you how. The answer is that there is no God. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no afterlife. There is no soul. You are just a physical brain and body, a meat machine. And we need to learn to live with this fact, get on with our lives, and stop believing in these fanciful, foolish fairy tales. Class dismissed. Stronghold. Now, as a freshman in college, I had never met anyone that didn't believe in the soul, much less heard an argument against it. But what really bothered me was this. For the first time in my life, I heard an argument that if true, would prove Christianity false. Because at this point, I had heard a lot of people complain about Christianity, but complaints don't mean it's false. But for the first time in my life, if this was true, Christianity would be false. How so? To paraphrase Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, Christianity is false, and people should actually feel sorry for us, for how gullible we are for believing this stuff. Well, suffice to say that at the resurrection, biblically speaking, it is not just a body being resurrected, but me, the soul. But according to Paul, if there's no resurrection, Christianity cannot be true. And by the same line of thinking, if there is no soul, then in principle, how can there be a resurrection? And thus, if there's no soul, there's no resurrection. And according to Paul, Christianity would be false. Stronghold. How would you respond to something like that? Well, that's what we're going to get into in the next video. How can we have fruitful conversations, not offend or hurt someone, not burn bridges, especially with some of the hostile accusations that we heard earlier? And how can we be the salt of the earth? and reach the loss for God's kingdom.